Hi, everybody. This is Lee. I'm here with Bob and Jerry. We are One New Man Ministries, an Ephesians 2 ministry, a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of Messianic Gentiles, that's Christians and Messianic Jews. And we are an Ephesians 2 ministry. For as Ephesians 2, 17 says, So he came, that's Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God because what we are talking about is the the Old Testament Torah portion from a point of view as believers in Yeshua, that's Jesus as our Savior. And we really want to look at the Old Testament portions, Torah portions, from the first five books of Moses from a point of view of Messianic prophecy as pointing towards the coming Messiah because it's God's plan for salvation that we will all be built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God, as Ephesians 2 says. So, Jerry, what are we going to study today? Good morning, man. Good to be with you again. Good morning, radio audience. Uh, We're so glad that you've decided to join us. Our Torah portion is found beginning in uh, Genesis 32.3. And it picks up Jacob's story. Uh, If you'll recall our last uh, visit with Jacob, he had uh, heard from God that it was time to return to his home. And if you remember, uh, 20 years prior to that, he fled his home because uh, his mother wanted him to find a wife from his own people. But uh, perhaps weighing more heavily on Jacob's mind was the idea that his brother had threatened to kill him. And so he had fled from uh, Esau, uh, not only to go find a wife, but to uh, ensure his safety. So now, 20 years on, he is headed back, and uh, he is facing a fearful future. According to the beginning of our Torah portion, it says uh, that Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus shall you say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob. Notice the uh, humility uh, that is present in that language. Uh, My Lord Esau, his servant Jacob. And we're going to see that this follows a pattern of ancient custom uh, when one who is in an inferior position tries to... uh, ingratiate might be a little bit too strong of a word, but to, to, to demonstrate uh, his submission, let's say, not only uh, particular language, but also the idea of bowing and giving gifts, both of which Jacob's going to participate in soon enough. Uh, but he is showing that he is willing to submit to uh, Esau. Uh, Say to Esau, I have sojourned with Laban, stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I've sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. So he sends off these messengers. Verse 6, they come back, returning to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And so... Uh, He is following the Lord's commandment to return to his home. He is facing what seems to be a very dire situation. And so uh, the next few verses uh, explain how he divides up his property and he has given instructions about each, each group when they run into Esau to say that this is a gift, this is a gift. And he sends everybody away and he's left alone. In verse 22, 
The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok, a stream there. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So Peniel is simply Hebrew for face of God. Okay, good. Okay, and so he names it Peniel. I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So this is a very famous story about Jacob, how he wrestles with God, uh, and God... uh, he, he's determined to get a blessing from God. He's not going to let go until he gets the blessing. God cripples him and, I think, gives him a physical reminder of his utter dependence at that point. And he goes through this name change. Then Jacob, who has uh, been the supplanter, the heel grabber, that's what Jacob means, is now renamed Israel, one who has striven with God because you have strived with God and prevailed. So, interestingly, the Messianic leaders who couple New Testament portions with our Torah portions chose to couple Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46, with this Torah portion. And so we're going to spend some time. This is the... uh, narrative of Yeshua in the Garden of Gethsemane as presented by Matthew. It is also in uh, Mark and Luke as well uh, in a form that's very similar to this, but they've chosen to give us the Matthew narrative. And here's the story of Jesus that night in the Garden beginning, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face, face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So we want to spend some of our time this morning considering uh, this passage uh, as compared with the story of Jacob's wrestling with God and just kind of compare and contrast uh, Jacob's situation with Yeshua's situation. What are the similarities? What are the differences? And what are some of the things that we might be able to uh, learn from those stories? So, Lee, I know you uh, have a... 
a take quite on a, this? Quite, quite a few thoughts, especially when we are talking about comparing uh, the, the, the will of Jacob and the will of Yeshua. Yeah. So it, this is a test for both of these men of their will. And, and it seems to me that they respond differently. Um, they both the context is fairly and as a pattern is fairly sim- similar because Jacob is confronted with his mortal enemy, that's Esau's brother who has threatened to kill him. So and, and the text says he's afraid. So he's facing an enemy with fear. And he, <clears throat> you know, prays and has this wrestling match. So a wrestling match implies, at least in my understanding, a struggle. And um, by struggle, you know, normally we mean uh, conflict of wills. I mean, think about two wrestlers each trying to dominate, control the other with their will. And and yet Jacob, <clears throat> he, he didn't prevail, so he saw that. And he continued to wrestle, and he held on until he was blessed. <clears throat> and from this, the output of this experience is he has a name change from Jacob, the supplanter, the one who sort of was given the blessing in the womb that the, the, the older would serve the younger. So there was this favor from God, but he supplanted Esau in terms of the, the heir, the first son, and he also, uh, you know, supplanted him with the blessing of the father and that trickery that we read about that Rebecca pulled off, putting the skins on him and the smell of Esau on him. So, but he now becomes Israel, who is the father of the 12 sons, the 12 tribes, and who, who now is called he who strives with God. Now, strives is an interesting word because, again, it sort of implies struggling and um, this wrestling idea. And, and the other part, definition of strives is it 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 strives towards strives Mm -hmm. with he becomes quote a champion of god so when you can see how you know in the blessing that he receives uh to sort of be the heir of the promise through abraham isaac and jacob and his sons and the playing forth of the 12 tribes of Israel, the whole history we know that unravels, including the tribe of Judah, the genealogy of Jesus, and the, the, the seed of salvation goes right through Jacob, right? But it, it does seem to me that he comes to this wrestling match with a different... Um, perspective then Yeshua comes to his challenge of the will in Gethsemane because Jacob really still has a fair amount of pride about him and and willfulness and in, in that he's willing to struggle you know he's his reaction to his fear of Esau and facing his enemy is bless me yeah. grabbing the blessing and whereas Yeshua really demonstrates a surrender of his will a total surrender of his personal will there is no self-idolization there there's no concern for self there I mean there is sorrowful your words the your translation says sorrowful my you know other translations say grieved I mean, he's standing on the face of descending into the abyss of hell with the sins, of the, the weight of the sins of the world on him and having to face Satan and, and 
defeat the devil. That's what he's facing. And yet, he does it with a very different attitude, it mm-hmm. seems to me. And it seems to me that this is pointing to something very essential in the nature of the Messiah and in the nature of what we're supposed to learn in terms of our path of sanctification and trying to be conformed more mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. image of Yeshua. And I think, uh, you know, the striving piece, the ex- external striving with somebody else or something else is, is good to know. Um, but also on uh, Matthew twenty six forty one, it says, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temp- temptation. Excuse me. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's where the struggle with a lot of things come. It's, it's internal to me. You know, I mean, look, look, Jesus says, if you had a, a, a faith of a mustard seed, look what you could do. You know, that's the spirit. But the weak, is, the weak part of us is the doubt, you know, the things that come in. So it's, it's both, a, I think, the struggle and striving is both external and internal. And I think that's what we, that's why we're on this earth. Yeah, if you think about this wrestling idea, the whole goal in wrestling is to subdue the other one, right? And that's really the attitude that Jacob has going into this. I must subdue God in order to get the blessing. And it is in some ways a lack of faith on his part because God has already promised to bless him. Uh, But no, I I can't accept that. I've got to wrestle God into the position where I want him. Uh, There's, I think there's that idea. And it really is completely opposite of where Yeshua is in this moment. Um, You know, I think about Yeshua in in the garden, and I know he, and I set it up this way at the beginning, that that, uh, Jacob is facing a fearful future because Jesus is too. Obviously, and you, you, you've touched on that. But, you know, there's that verse in Hebrews that says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That as unsettling as this moment must have been for him, that here too somehow, you know, we have that great verse we always quote, The joy of the Lord is my strength that he had the joy of the Lord even in this moment. Now, it was a painful moment. It was a fearful moment. None of those things go away, but I'm just really so taken with that that picture of Yeshua that for the joy that was sent before him, he endured the cross. You know, when John presents the crucifixion of Yeshua, uh, what he sets up is a picture actually of a king in complete control ascending his throne. And things proceed according to God's decree, but Jesus is in the midst of all of that, directing, if you will, by his providential design. You know, he's part of the Godhead. This is, this is the plan of God from eternity. And so facing the Satan, facing Satan, and remember Satan is a Hebrew word that simply means the adversary, the enemy, uh, in that moment is 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 the the physical reality of what he's going through the emotional reality of of what he's going through the the humiliation of 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 the 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 whippings and and the nakedness and all of the human secretions and all of that stuff uh that's facing that's 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 facing the enemy you know remember in in uh I think it's Matthew's account. I could be wrong. But one of them, uh, the thief and, and Jesus have a conversation. And Jesus says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus knows that when he dismisses his spirit, paradise is the next stop on the trip. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So, for, so he endures what is 
you know, a nighttime of torture until about three o'clock in the afternoon. Is that, is that right. right? When he give, yeah. when he dismisses his spirit. But that's those are the hours of battle. That's when he confronted Satan, and that's when he won the victory. So this this is all kicked off with the Passover celebration, the Last Supper, the institution of communion, and then this Garden of Gethsemane moment. And so, you know, all of that is in his head as he's praying this. He right. he knows. And so he doesn't have to wrestle with God. He can lay out his own heart, his, his, you know, his humanity, and say, man, I wish there was a different way. But if not, your will be done. And I don't have to wrestle you for the blessing because however this works out, I'm blessed. Right, and, and, and this is why I was saying it's a will test, mm-hmm. right? Because he lays down his will completely. And and we don't see that in Jacob. No. At all. And and you know, and yet Jacob is renamed Israel, right? And becomes the father of the quote chosen people, the people that are carry the seed of salvation forward to Yeshua, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he is the more perfect high priest, the more perfect king, the more perfect judge, the more perfect prophet Yeshua is. And, um, and I think, you know, what the authors are telling us here is it's, like you said, a, a faith issue, a crisis of faith, because how could he, Yeshua, lay down his will completely, you know, and and not struggle, you know, not wrestle, you know. And yet, the other meaning strives with God, this champion of God, be an even more perfect champion, mm-hmm. you know. Yes. But, but can you really compare uh, Jacob to Jesus, though? I mean, in a sense— I mean, you're looking at the son of the son of God, who is, is uh, you know, he struggled too. It says that my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So he had a, he had the eternal and internal struggle going on himself. And the spirit it comes down to the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think as we grow as as believers, that that starts to tilt. You know that 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 weak flesh that we have starts to tilt towards a willing spirit as we grow older and i think that's part of the maturation process that we all go through so just want to bring that well well said and you know so yeah we aren't seeing a jacob who has the maturation of the spirit anywhere close to he you know of yeshua but we are seeing the germ seed as it as it is of you know the formation, but I think, you know, the, 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 the way that, you know, this compare and contrast benefits us as readers is to understand, you know, that the maturation of the spirit that you're talking about, flesh versus spirit, that internal war really is about aligning our will with God's will. It's not struggling Amen. with God's will in our lives and walking away limping <laughs> i'm limping <laughs> these knees yeah, but you know we, we have the holy spirit within us whereas jacob did not you know what i mean so it's we've gotten some advantages that he didn't have but still you know he 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 uh, heard the promises from god he knew that he was going to survive it he didn't know how so he's struggling like like we all do i guess Saying we have the Holy Spirit, um, this is going to sound like a downer, I think. (laughs) But I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uh, Remember Yeshua said, uh, if Sodom and Gomorrah had seen what you'd seen, Mm -hmm. and so therefore you're in for greater judgment? Right. So if we have the Holy Spirit and Jacob didn't, that means we have more available to us to do better than Jacob. And if we don't, then we're we're going to 
all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to suffer loss. So, I mean, to, to, uh, to claim the privileges of salvation means to really take on the responsibilities. Yes, it does. And be accountable. Mm-hmm. Ray, that's what you're saying. Right. And, and, you know, I think that we can, you know, this, this, I like this idea Bob was talking about of maturation because we can see here as we read on some elements of maturation because it is sort of interesting that Jacob had 12 sons. Yeshua had 12 disciples. I don't know if that means anything, but it is an interesting observation. But, you know, after, you know, as we read on here, and Jacob, you know, is forgiven by Esau and receives the forgiveness and mercy, the grace that he receives from Esau, his enemy, right? And and then you look at how his sons react. Do they react? Do his 12 react with forgiveness and mercy and grace versus Yeshua's 12, you know, who received the Holy Spirit? And they did. They didn't retaliate. You know, they didn't have vengeance. And they, you know, proclaimed the gospel of peace. Forgiveness, yes. mercy, and grace, you know. So I think there is a maturation process well, we're observing here. I, I think you're right. And and it and look at look um and and verse thirty seven, Matthew twenty six, thirty seven, it says that he took Peter and the two sons. Well, look what Peter look how much he matured from that time you know, he was falling asleep. He, he you know, the and, and Jesus says the spirit the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And then, just a few hours later, he would deny Jesus. Remember that? So well, don't, don't forget that between those two things, he also tried to uh, protect Jesus by well, cutting, cutting off, off the, the yeah. servant's ear. But, but then, look later on in his life, how much he proclaimed Yeshua as, as, as the Messiah and how he died. So you can see his, his, his faith growing, that he was becoming less weak in the, in, in the, in the flesh and, more, and stronger in the spirit. As he as he matured, so well, so I I had a question for you guys. I sort of heard Jerry's answer, so I'm gonna ask you, Bob. So Jacob had a name change mm-hmm. after this test of his will from Jacob, the supplanter to Israel, he who strives with God. Did Yeshua salvation? Yeshua means salvation. That's his God-given Hebrew name, Yeshua. Did he have a name change after the his wrestling with his enemy and his his uh, overcoming his enemy, his will challenge, the te- test of his will? That's a that's a uh, question for Jerry. They went from the Son of Man to the Son of God, or what? What those both those titles are are being used alongside each other. Well, the, he, There's technical reasons why uh, he's the Son of God, uh, in in some places, Son of Man is his preferred title, if you look carefully, and that is an allusion to Daniel's teaching in Daniel chapter 7 about the Son of Man will come on the clouds and all the judgments of the nation. So, so uh, Son of Man is a clearly uh, messianic title uh, that, that he takes for himself. Um, Lee's question to me was, did he go from Yeshua, Savior, to Mashiach, uh, a name change like that? No, no, salvation, Yeshua. Salvation to Savior. To Savior, Christ, huh? Yeah, Mashiach. So so Savior is is a completely different word than Messiah, Mm -hmm. uh, both in Hebrew and in Greek. And so uh, I, I would say that is not the name change that took place. He owned those titles the whole time. He owned the Messiah the whole time. Well, Messiah means the anointed one, and he was always the anointed one. He he said that at the woman at the well, remember? Right. And and Peter, when he confesses, you are the Messiah, the the Son of God. Uh, What's mysterious, and I have no answer to this, is the verse in Revelation chapter 3, I think it's verse 12, where it says that God's going to let us know his new name. 
I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, that that I, I, I do not know. Uh, in terms of uh, the, the parallels of the 12 sons and the 12 apostles, uh, clearly that's intentional on God's part, on Yeshua's part. Uh, he is reconstituting a spiritual Israel. Good point. Um, and so when Judas fails his office, the first order of business in Acts, after Yeshua ascends, is to replace him, right? Another will take his place, according to the, the scripture. So, so there, there's an intentionality about the 12 apostles as, as compared with the 12 sons. What I'll, I, and this might lead us into a bit of the discussion what comes after in Genesis, this whole maturation process, salvation itself, uh, is a process. We don't often think about it because we, we like to focus on the idea that if we have been born again, we've been born again, we are, we are saved, right? But Paul talks about, in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, he talks about you have been saved, you're being saved, you will be saved. And so we've talked about this before, that salvation is uh, not the idea, I'm saved so I go to heaven. The idea behind salvation is saved from sin. And so we have been saved from the penalty of sin, justification. We are being saved from the power of sin, sanctification. That's this maturation process. We will be saved in the future from the presence of sin. That's going to be glorification. So we have this process of salvation. Yes, salvation is once for all. It's sure, but it also unfolds as a process. I guess we could say, just like our lives as human beings, right? Uh, we become human when we're born, but we are developing over this time into the people that we are, right? And so we, we enter the world. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a done deal. Jerry Wasserberg, he, he exists. And then there's this process of existence. And that's maybe not the best analogy, but the point is when we are born into God's family, we are irrevocably adopted. God's not ever going to disown us or unadopt us. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, right? The spirit of adoption who comes into our hearts and we cry, Abba, Father. So, so I mean, that is a done deal. But we have to grow. That's what God is doing with us. Because our enemy, the devil, yes, but our enemy is our flesh as well, where sin still resides, according to Paul. The impulse to sin is still there. And I am called upon day by day then to pick up my cross, deny myself, and follow Yeshua. That is the process of sanctification, saying no to my will and yes to God's will. And so I think what we see in Jacob in the, in the extended story that, that follows is, yeah, he's a long way from perfect. <laughs> uh, we're going to see that he probably wasn't the greatest father. He definitely had internal conflict with the four wives, as you like to point out, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is fearful, right? When, when, when uh, Joseph is taken and then years later, uh, the whole famine thing, and he wants to hold on to Benjamin. And, you know, there, there's, there's trust issues for him. He is a man who is in the process of becoming all that God intended him to be. Just because he got his name changed that day didn't mean he was all the way there. Right? And that's the same for you and me. Yes. You know, <clears throat> when I became a new believer, I was in a Bible study group, and one of the things they used to say was, you have gone from being Adam's son to Christian's son. <laughs> and... And that's, that's the, the idea that we now have a new family with new values, uh, with new orientation, but we grow into that. We have to learn to take on that, that identity. Uh, it doesn't all come 
at once. I've silenced everybody here. <laughs> no, we're just thinking, Jerry, you, just, you mentioned a little while ago that, that when Judas dropped out of the, um, the, the 12 apostles, was he replaced by Paul? No. No, at the beginning of Acts, uh, I never remember who's who, uh, but they put forward two, two candidates and they cast lots. And... Uh, <clears throat> okay, so in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, in those days Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was about 120, said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, uh, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered in their... He was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. So he goes on, there's, there's, there's a speech, uh, but it's, uh, he quotes uh, the book of Psalms uh, in verse 20, May his camp become desolate, let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So talking about Judas, his camp is desolate, but now somebody else has to step in. So it has to be someone who has accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from, uh, from us. So whoever is going to replace Judas needs to have been there from the beginning, needs to have been an eyewitness like we are all eyewitnesses. So they put forward, uh, he must be a witness to his resurrection. End of verse 22. They put forward Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias, they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Thank you. So that group of twelve were required to be eyewitnesses. Now remember, Paul calls himself an apostle born after. Uh, he was not an eyewitness to the resurrection. He was eyewitness to the resurrected Lord. So uh, a slightly different vantage point for him, if you will. Right. Uh, but he, he is not the one who replaced Judas. I got you. Well, if uh, you don't have anything else on Matthew 26... Any other comparisons or contrasts that you wanted to uh, bring out at this point? I just one uh, one last thing on Peter about the spirit. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Mm -hmm. Then Peter died. Up was he crucified upside down? That is the story. The story the, is the tradition is that he he requested being up, crucified upside down that he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. Right. And I just think, you know, look at look at the Peter that we read at the beginning and now look at look at Peter at the end and and you know, the the maturation that took place within him is is phenomenal. Well, you know, apologetically, the transformation of the disciples is one of the strongest points I think that there is. Um the idea that these men who were so fearful and Peter in particular, whose story is laid out for us, you know, all of these embarrassing moments, mm -hmm. for all of them to have been so transformed that every single one of them but John was put to death for proclaiming the resurrected Jesus, that their transformation and their willingness to die for this message, and it's clear in Acts when you read it, the message is Jesus is alive he was resurrected. He was brought back from the dead, which gives him the authority to be the Lord. That is the message, right? Right. That if they were willing to lay down their lives, it's humanly, psychologically inconceivable that every single one of them would die to preserve a lie. The conspiracy would have had to break down much, much sooner than that. Yes. And so uh, for those of you who are listening and, and, and are, are in conversations with people who question the resurrection, that is a point to make with people sometimes is how do you explain this 
radical transformation in the disciples. The Bible, this is one of the things that makes the Bible so wonderful, is that it presents these people as real people. They are not all heroes of the faith. Well, well, let's put it this way. Even the heroes of the faith have flaws. And the Bible is not shy about presenting those flaws. The Bible is real. It presents real people with real encounters with God. And so Jacob, yeah, he had his name changed, but he's still going to screw up quite a bit along the way uh, before he's finally leaning on his rod and blessing all the sons that, you know, at the end of Genesis. There, there's, a, there's a lot of living that Jacob's going to do between now and then, yeah? Yes. And so that's one of the things, I think, that you can talk to people, uh, reasonable people, about and just say, look at, look at the disciples. And this all takes place within 30 years of the events, 35, 40 years tops, uh, that, that all the disciples all wind up being put to death in one place or another. John lives the longest. He's in, in, in the A.D. 90s or so uh, when, he, when he writes the book of Revelation. Um, but all of them have gone to excruciating, torturous deaths. Would they do that if they knew it was a lie? No. Would they do that if they had come at night and stolen the body and put it, hit it somewhere themselves? Somebody's going to love their life enough to speak up and say, hey, I know where the body is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember where we put it. I'm going to show you. Nobody did that. No. Because there was no body. He was resurrected. Good point. Well, I think with that, we can go back to Genesis. And there's certainly a lot of... Uh, little points to be made along the way. Um, there's this interesting change. We expect one thing from Esau, but something else entirely happens. After Jacob wrestles with uh, God, uh, he, we have the actual meeting between uh, Jacob and Esau. In chapter 32, let me get there. Uh, I'm sorry, at the beginning of chapter 33, Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and the 400 men with him. That sounds grim. <laughs> if you're Jacob... So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants... He put the servants and their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. So, this isn't just a throwaway description, I don't think. Because if you, if you think about this, he's got them, the people at the front are in the most danger. That's the servant ladies and their children. The next people are Leah and her children. Remember, Leah was not the favored wife. And in third place, in the safest spot in terms of being assaulted by Esau and the 400 men is Rachel and Joseph. And of course, we know later on, Joseph was the favored son. Why? Well, because he was the only son of the favored wife at the time, right? So even in this, we see that there's still some real flesh struggles for Jacob. Let's put it that way. You know, the, the favoritism that, that is going to uh, rear its ugly head later on can be seen in these kinds of, of scenarios. He put the servants, uh, last of all, Rachel and Joseph. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And so this is that uh, thing that I mentioned earlier in, in ancient times, the, the, the custom of showing your, your submission to a superior was this bowing, this uh, seven, repeated seven times bowing. And so Jacob uh, presents himself to his brother in this, in this humble position, uh, fully expecting uh, the wrath of Esau, right? I think 
that's fair to say, wouldn't you? Yes. Verse 4, But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. When Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Because remember when Jacob left, it was just Jacob. Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant, there's that language, your servant, then the servants drew near, they and their children bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. Last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. So the entire entourage demonstrates their submission before Esau following Jacob's lead. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. So He's talking now about all of the uh, servants with the flocks of sheep and goats and camels that he had sent on in front of the family. So what do you mean by that? And he says, I wanted to find favor in your sight. Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. So in a way, Esau is saying, uh, welcome. I have plenty. Maybe without saying it, he's saying, uh, the God of our fathers has blessed me as well. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, but Jacob begs him. And this is also part of this, this ancient custom. No, you must take the gifts. You must. <laughs> Please, if I've found favor, and there's our word, chen, grace, favor. If I've found favor in your sight, then accept my present. And this is that idea that David comes with uh, when, when he stops the plague, when God stops the plague at the, at the uh, threshing floor of Aruna, right? And, and David insists on buying it, and Aruna wants to give it to him, and David says, no, I cannot present that for which I have not paid. It's that whole idea. Uh, we, 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 we accept grace, but there's, there's an offering back that should be made, something that costs us as well, the opposite of cheap grace that we've sometimes talked about, that if I found grace in your sight, if I have truly found favor, then take my gift. Go. So, so this interaction between Jacob and Esau is a radical transformation from what we expected, you know, the, the foreshadowing of the story, right? I mean, we thought, well, Esau's going to kill Isaac. I, I mean, Esau's going to kill Jacob. Jacob thought, oh, Esau's going to kill me. You know, we thought, oh, Esau is a vengeful person, full of anger and retaliation. And, and he shows up, yeah, with 400 men. We talked about that. He probably was hedging his bet. I wonder <laughs> if uh, Jacob's going to be fighting I better take some people with me in a show of force. But, you know, it's remarkable what it says. You know, every, I think the first time I read this through, I'm like, oh, okay, after Jacob wrestled with God and was renamed Israel, and he was so grateful for that, he was humble and he bowed down seven times. And the reason that there was this different outcome than we expected was because of a change in Jacob. But I read this in, in, in chapter 33, verse 4, and it says, And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. I mean, that is a radical transformation in my internal picture of Esau. And, 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 you know, we talked about this when we were studying it together about what happened to Esau, yeah. you know, between, you know, threatening to kill Jacob and Re Rebecca shuttling Jacob off to Laban. And now, and I, and I think back to Isaac digging the wells and, and, and the third well was there is room. And I just wonder if Isaac rubbed off on Esau because, you know, not only did he say, no, I got plenty, you know, I, you know, I don't want your flocks and stuff. I have plenty, you know, more or less God has blessed me, right? Or I've received the blessing of my father too, right? Because he probably did receive a lot of blessing from all of Isaac's bounty, right? 
while Jacob was gone. But he also leaves the area. Esau leaves the area after this and leaves Jacob, Canaan, for, to settle and, and for his flocks to graze in. So there is room. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a, a, a point that we don't see. You know, we don't really... We see maybe... Jacob is humble in his response and 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 asking for forgiveness and for mercy and putting himself at the mercy of Esau but we de- we definitely see Esau also being merciful and forgiving I think it's a pretty picture mm-hmm. well I I just something just came to my mind maybe when Esau heard that this big a bunch of people and a bunch of flocks are coming towards him he didn't know it was uh uh, Jacob, I mean, he could have just said, "Hey, whoever it is, I better be prepared." But when he found out it was Jacob, maybe that's when his heart changed, or just. Well, yeah, I think what we decided was we 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 don't know for sure Esau's motive for the four hundred men. Right. On first reading, it could seem like he's just out there and he plans to attack. But thinking some more, we thought, well, maybe his motive was. I go in peace, but I'm ready for anything, right? And now what you've added to that. But I I like uh, Lee's point to think about uh, the fact that just maybe those 20 years that Jacob was gone, there was still enough interaction between Isaac and his other son Esau that some of Isaac's tenderness some of his godliness uh, rubbed off on Esau. We know from the text that Esau withdrew to a different place. He's not actually in what we would consider Canaan. He's a little bit south of there, uh, <clears throat> down towards the Arabian Peninsula, if my geography is right. But uh, he is in a he is in a, a place of his own, but. It's, it's very possible that he would still continue to have some kind of conversation with his parents, uh, uh, with his father over time. And, and here he is. He's, he's, a, he's, he's a different man than we would have expected. Uh, what was the prophecy over him that he would be a wild donkey of a man, right? Uh, that was Ishmael. That was Ishmael, I'm mm. sorry. Um, but, but still... Uh, the the volcanic anger that swore to kill his brother, uh, we don't see that anywhere here. Mm-hmm. But but keep in mind, he married one of Ishmael's uh, daughters, did he not? Mm-hmm. Yes. So <laughs> it, it kind of connects somewhere. The uh, story goes on then from that point. The uh, brothers separate, and Esau goes uh, back to his area around Mount Seir. And uh, his land is called Edom from that time on. Uh, Edom also means red. Uh, Remember, that was uh, Esau's name coming out, that he was red and ruddy. Uh, And Jacob withdraws to to, uh, Shechem finally. And then we have this story about um, basically uh, a moral failure on the part of two of Jacob's sons. The story of uh, them avenging uh, their sister Dina, who was raped by uh, Hamor, the son of Shechem. Or no, Hamor. Hamor was the father. She- uh, Shechem was the one who, who, who raped Dina. Uh, and, and Bob, I know that you uh, had, had some thoughts on 34.8 and following about Shechem uh, wanting to arrange this marriage uh, and, and some of his motivation. I'm not sure, Jerry. Uh, uh, it might have been me. 
okay uh, right. about about how we can intermarry with them and, and yeah so you know i think that the 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 sequence of the text is important okay because here jacob receives and his family and his sons right all these children receive an incredible grace and mercy from esau and then what's the next thing that happens dina is violated by the son of the head of Shechem, Hamor, and he and he actually loved her and wanted to marry her and asked his dad, who was the king or whatever, the chief, to go speak to Jacob to try to arrange the marriage and and, you know, but when the brothers heard about, you know, especially this is Leah's daughter. So especially the six, you know, sons of Leah heard about this. They, they just were vengeful and wanted to retaliate. And so, you know, what does the, the chief of Shechem say to Jacob? Listen, let your sons marry our daughters and our sons marry your daughters. And we and you dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade and, and get possessions here and more or less... Let me find favor in your eyes, and what ye shall say unto me I will give. So, I mean, he was going to give a dowry and a gift. He came wanting to have a marriage, okay? And so what what did the son say? Or who was it that actually said this? Okay, only on this condition will we consent unto you. That every male of you be circumcised. Mm -hmm. Jacob answered. So was Jacob. We cannot do this thing to give our sister one that is uncircumcised. For there was for that there were reproach unto us. So, you know, because they are living apparently under the covenant with Abraham of circumcision. So what happens is, you know, they Shechem's people, they go back, they all agree to be circumcised, although Shechem's a little sneaky, says, well, to his own people, yeah, we'll absorb them into us and we'll get all their possessions too. So maybe there's an ulterior motive, but what what do they do with the circumcision on the third day or whatever when they're recovering from the circumcision? They attack and kill all these all men, the men, right? right? Simeon, Levi, Levi. and... Um, Dina's brethren took each man his sword, this is in 34, 25, and came upon the city unaware and slew all the males, and they slew Hamor and Shechem his son with edge of sword, and took Dina out of Shechem's house and went forth. <clears throat> the sons of Jacob came upon the slain, spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister, they took their flocks, blah, 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 all their wealth, the little ones, their wives, this is terrible vengeance and retaliation. And all I'm saying is they had mercy. They received mercy and forgiveness. And what did they do with the mercy and forgiveness they received? They didn't show others mercy and mm-hmm. forgiveness. And when someone wanted to join them, they, you know, it, it, it harkens back to the part uh, and wh- where Paul in the New Testament, there's the conflict about should the Gentiles have to undergo circumcision. We right. talked about that a little bit, but, you know, I'm just saying that, you know, there wasn't this change of heart in this in these 12. Right. Well, we're coming up to the end, and maybe I can pull this together this way. What we have seen in a couple different places— uh, previously and here today too is it was God's will for Jacob and his family to be separate uh, but there's doing God's will God's way and there's doing God's will my way and this this was doing God's will their way and we want to make the point that uh, what was required here was not circumcision of the flesh but a circumcision of the heart that only God could do amen And so as we wrap up, we want to ask you, our listeners, uh, where's your heart? Have you given it to God? 
Have you seen that Yeshua is the only one who can heal your heart, who can restore your relationships, who can make you at peace with those around you? If you have uh, already made that commitment, we are so grateful and uh, we, we call you brother and sister and uh, ask only that uh, we are hopefully helping you along the way. But if you've never uh, made that commitment to Yeshua, perhaps you're ready to pray this prayer with me. If you are, if you're ready to uh, make peace with God and be at peace with those around you, uh, will you just pray this along with me? Father in heaven, I acknowledge I'm a sinner and I have been at war with you even if I didn't realize it. But your word says I was your enemy and you sent Yeshua to die in my place. And for that reason, I want to submit to you. I want to ask you to forgive me in Yeshua's name. I ask you to send your Holy Spirit into me that I might live the kind of life that is pleasing to you that does not seek vengeance, but seeks like Jacob to make amends, to be reconciled, even to brothers who had threatened to kill me. Because this is how Yeshua did it. This is how he acted. And this is what he commanded us when he said to love your enemies. So I ask you to do this work in me for Jesus' sake and in his name, amen. Thanks for being with us. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God be with you all.